We're going to be reading two passages this morning before the pastor comes forward. The first one is in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans rush after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough of its own. If you also turn with me to Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. We begin today a uh, four Sunday emphasis on the place of prayer in the life of the believer, in the life of the church. We had a wonderful day of prayer yesterday. Thank all of you who came uh, I love what Grant told me that uh, all the deacons and elders, we gathered there and we thought we'd all pray from ten, 9 to 10. And he thought, well, that's a long time to be praying. And he said after an hour, he'd only got through five things that he needed to pray about. And uh, the time just flew. Uh, when you, busyness is the enemy of holiness. And busyness is the enemy of waiting on God. You've got to slow down long enough to think God's worth waiting on. But uh, some people thrive uh, because they can get more done than God, you know. Uh, they're much better at running things. That's one reason God makes you sleepy. He wants you to know the universe keeps running even when you're asleep. Just a little reminder that things go along well. And we want to look uh, on this matter of worry and praying. Lest I forget, let me say this, that tonight we're going to see uh, some young people baptized. Uh, we have some from the junior high department. We have some from the uh, uh, high school department. And we'll be taking the Lord's Supper the first time in the new year. And... Uh, we're also going to finally give you a report that we weren't gambling in Havana when we went to Cuba. And uh, Grant has put a great presentation. And we're going to share with you for about 30 minutes. Uh, talk about baptisms. You're going to see more baptisms than you may want to. 
But that's all we did in Cuba is we preached, we prayed, we traveled, and we baptized people. And we did that for uh, a whole week or so and uh, came home exhausted and uh, found out that Grant has a special te technique I'll show you tonight on how to baptize people. I, I, well, I'll tell you later. Let's get to the message. Uh, I'm going to focus on uh, Philippians 4, uh, but we already got the backdrop here in Matthew 6. There's four things in the book of Philippians that Paul writes is from jail that he said ought to be four pillars to hold you in all of life. I call them uh, four pillars to hold you up, four pillows to lay your head on, and four pills to pop. And he says this, uh, you've got to know God has given his people prayer to keep them from cracking up, keep them from having a nervous breakdown. Two, he has promised to give them his power so they can accomplish everything he's told them to do. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who infuses, in the Greek, his power in me. And he can provide everything you need, 419. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And I think the framework of the book is uh, when you think all is falling apart, remember 1-6, that uh, I am confident that he that has begun the work in me can complete it. God doesn't abandon projects. He begins. He finishes. But let's look at this matter of uh, why worry when we can pray. Uh, Paul is telling them he wants them to rejoice, and he says it twice, and he wants them to be gentle, and then he goes right into this matter of worry because one of the greatest enemies of our joy is worry. And uh, I want to look at three things today. Our problem, we worry far too much. And it's a human disease. You don't need to look at your neighbor, just it's you, it's me. Between fear and anxiety, we all have had our bouts at various times. And about the time you think you've got it whipped, uh, you go into a spell. Uh, so we'll diagnose the problem a bit. And then we want to look at God's prescription. Uh, and it's right in the text, and we'll try to break it down. And then we'll look at God's promise. So uh, let's look at the problem. Uh, let's look at the prescription. And then let's see what promise comes with the prescription. This word uh, worry is a word to have a divided mind. Uh, it meant to fret, to be anxious. Sometimes it was used of harassing care. Uh, it was the idea of trying to carry the burden about future things. Uh, we just did a funeral for Betty Robinson's uh, son, Friday, and we looked at James 4, that we are a paradoxical people that we can say we don't know what will happen in 24 hours. Disease, death, I think of this congressman woman down in Tucson, never planned that that would be, be her day of her death had no idea, should not have been by all human calculations, but a bullet is in the brain. 
and six others are dead. And what happened in a day, none of us know if the big quake is going to hit within 24 hours. None of us know if the big heart attack's going to hit. No one knows if somebody's going to be drunk behind the wheel of a car and hit you and your loved ones. Catherine just laid a request on me this morning that took my breath. Her good friend just uh, had an accident with her two-year-old, ran over them. They were killed, and uh, the birthday was today. Uh, I mean, the weight of that, a fine believer loves the Lord. But surely that couldn't happen to a believer. It did happen. Monique, keep her in your prayers. And so we have uh, all these things, and even Jesus is saying, uh, when you think today's okay, uh, and we start worrying about tomorrow. Uh, I got a job today, but our 401K's only got a quarter of a million in it. We need at least a million. So you'll always find something in the future, but worry just breeds and breeds. And the more money you have, the more health you have, uh, that means you could worry more. It's the great advantages of being poor. They never worry about the stock market. And where I live, we never worried about thieves. You'd have to be desperate to rob our house. There's nothing to rob. So we never kept uh, alarms, and we never paid homeowner's insurance. You've got to be kidding. Take it off. You can have it. We can replace it for about 500 bucks. You live in the projects. You don't have good furniture. And uh, our folks use dynamite boxes. Drank out of fruit jars. You don't believe that. Peanut butter, I thought that's what you drank your milk out of. Man, I didn't know one. You got fine usury. I don't like nice silverware. They eat more. You see the sparks flying off the table. Uh, but it's interesting, this matter of worry. Uh, you can worry about the future. And he's telling them, I, I, he's commanding them in the Greek, I don't want you to be worrying. And I think of Psalms, Psalms 42, where he says, he talks to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And he goes right through that Psalm, saying, God, have you forgot about me? Then he comes right back to the refrain, and he carries it over in Psalms 43, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And this is one of the finest pieces of biblical psychology. God has made you so you can talk to yourself. And the psalmist, and it's probably Asaph, he just stands back, and he can see the cogitations of his heart and his mind, and he's looking back, and he's talking. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? You think his soul was out here. It's in here, but he, he just drew it this way. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, my heart? Why are, you, why are you in the dumps? So he's talking to himself. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, said, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who listen to their heart, and those who talk to it. And if you always listen to your heart, you're going to be deceived so many times. Nobody loves me. Is that true? Have you ever said it to yourself? 
Nobody cares. I'm all alone. Uh, this, that, that. Well, who told you that? And, and I just heard a preacher recently. You can always be sure the devil's talking to you when you hear a line like this. You're never going to mount to a hill of beans. You never have amounted to anything. And right now you don't amount to anything. Now, would that be God talking to you? So now there's certain people that anything they hear, any cogitation of the heart, it must be a fact because I thought it, I felt it, it's going on in me. And he said, but the psalmist says, why are you cast down? I will put my trust in God. I will hope in God, and I refuse to let my heart tell me what I am. I'm going to consult my God about my status. I'm not going to listen to all my fears. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. So he never denies that we worry. It's never denied that we have fear. We do. Just admit it. That's our problem. And where does it come from? It comes from our heart. It comes from our mind. And uh, there's two things that breed uh, worry. Two things primarily the Scriptures uh, say. One is unbelief. When you quit trusting God and you take matters into your own hands, then you'll start worrying. Because in your pride, you haven't been. And then the other side is pride. Because Peter gives a verse. It's verse 6 and 7 of chapter 5, but they're one sentence in the Greek. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Yeah? How could I do that? By casting all your cares on him. The people who don't cast it are proud. They think they can handle it. A mark of humility is prayer. That's why you don't pray. You're proud. You think you can handle life without God's help. How you doing? He said, well, as long as my Valium prescription is renewed, I'm doing great. Billions of dollars are spent on pills every year to help people overcome anxiety. But God's pill for his people is, I want to give you prayer, and I want to tell you how to do it. So we all deal with this problem of anxiety. It's just a part of life. Now, what is the uh, prescription he gives? Well, uh, he tells them to pray, and let's break it down. Do not be anxious about anything. That is so broad, I wish God would have given us a little breathing room. Come on, you, he must not have included kids. He, he must not have included recessions. He must not have included my wife. Come on. No, he said anything. Because God says, can you trust me about everything? Are there just some things that you'll handle? And those are the things that will worry you to death. Your employment, your income, whatever. Look, he's going to give them three words about prayer. This is what he says. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He really uses four things. The first thing he said about prayer is a word, it's kind of a beautiful word, prosukumai. And, and it's the word, it's the most common word for prayer and it has the idea of adoration behind it, uh, worship. Uh, it meant to bow down, uh, to kiss 
the ground or to kiss the hand. Uh, it, it was that most common word. And so the first thing that you ought to really do with all your worry is, why don't you go and worship your God? Just worship him. Adore him. Are you aware of what you got when you got God as your father? And prayer, when you go to your knees, that's the first thing you ought to do. The first part of all praying ought to be worship, not petition. By the way, God's omniscient, and he's really tired of you trying to fill him in on the problem. He knows it. He's waiting for you to ask him for his help. But worship is the first part of praying. And that's why I see a lot of people say, well, why should I pray? I got everything I need. Do you have all the God you need? How do you do in worship and prayer? Uh, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want to set you aside as holy and wonderful. Thy will be done, not my will. Your kingdom, that until the heart is caught up with God's interest, if you can't kneel and get God in the focus, guess who your idol has become? The thing that's blocking your mind from running to your God. Whatever it is, the first thing you want to do is, I'm going to worship you. Though you slay me, I will trust you. Though I don't live another day, I want to trust you and bask in who my God is. The second thing I'll do is I'll make supplication. And the word is a word that means to petition regarding a known need. It, this is where you bring your list, where you have the issues in your life. That's why it'd probably be good for you to have a prayer journal or something that you write down. Do you track what you ask God for? Do you know when you get an answer? You ought to do it. If you keep a little journal, today I took to the Lord these issues, uh, our child, health issues, what, anything in your life, the wife and I, our communication, uh, whatever it is on your heart, he said, You've got access to the throne. You can bring no request. It's too great, too absurd. Bring your request to the Lord. And I recommend some way you keep a little list and just track God to see if he answers. I did that with God on money. I've got all these ledgers that I've kept. I started tithing when I was 15, and I've been trying to see if God cheats you or not. My sister sat me down and taught me. I just got saved. She just, you know, and I didn't have a chance to let the Holy Spirit teach me how to give. I had a big sis. You sit down right there, Philip. Every dollar you get, God deserves the first 10 cents. You're kidding. Why? I'm not going to put 10 cents in the offering. She said, I told you. If you don't, I'll be checking up on you. Because you see, I'm a boy that my dad had to tell the Sunday school teachers I give Philip an offering every week, but I wouldn't give it because I bought penny candy. And I got caught. My first thieving experience was stealing the church, not giving. And so my dad asked of the teacher, is Philip putting anything in the offering? No, but I'd come home with my pockets full of penny candy. Where'd you get that? Well, Dad, you gave me the money. God supplies all your needs, so I bought... And so he had to teach them, frisk him every service. I've been frisked all my life for money. Uh, petition God. Petition him. 
keep a record on him. And one of the enemies of a prayer life is indefiniteness. Just generalities. And I've often used the illustration, it's like going to the store and what do you want? Groceries. Could you be more specific? I just want groceries. So start throwing, well, pretty soon you got a bunch. Now what, what do you want to ask God about when you're worrying? I would think it'd be those things you're worried about. Petition him. And then he says something. Uh, it's really in the Greek after Thanksgiving. It seems that Thanksgiving probably got ahead of petitioning. And it's the idea that you go with thanks to God. You can't get anything from a God you're angry with or a God you're ticked at. If you don't have a thankful heart, you need to start confessing sin, confessing your attitude. And I find many people that don't pray are not thankful to start. They're not thankful about what God's already done. It's a great way to pray. Uh, if you knelt today and started giving God thanks, how long do you think it would take you? Just give any thanks. Uh, I heard E.V. Hill one time, a black preacher that used to be in Watts, now with the Lord. But uh, uh, E.V. Hill grew up in Sweet Home, Texas, a, uh, a community that was settled by slaves after the Civil War. Grew up in a uh, one log cabin with a single mother. His dad was out of his life at an early age. I don't know if it was death or exactly how that happened. But he grew up. Uh, and he was only promised to go to the 10th grade because you had to work in the cotton fields, and he begged his mother, uh, please let me go uh, to college. I don't want to work in cotton fields. I don't want to be a poor black down in Texas. Back in the 50s and 40s, he begged, and so she went to the deacons of the church, and they gave him permission to go to uh, uh, high school, and he did graduate. He said, I graduated uh, with the highest honors in my class, with the highest GPA in my class, and the only one in my class. Only young black man in that community that got to go to high. Then he went off to college, but he said this at a pastor's conference. When I'm in a slump, when I have more on my desk than I can do, and when criticisms are flying around me, and and he said at that time he had 95 things on his list to do when he got back to his church, St. John Missionary, and meet with the secretaries, complain, a woman suing the church because they hadn't done enough to help her, if you can believe it, all the problems. He said, when I really get buried and in a slump, I get a plane ticket, and I fly to Houston, and I rent a car, and I drive out to that one-room cabin where me and my mother made it, and how a poor black boy came from just being a bib overall kid in a cotton field, how I made it through more college, how I got this far. I'm thanking God for how far I've already came and said, Lord, I'm facing a lot of trials now, but you've already brought me this far. And he tells how he went, got on a bus, a trailway bus, and his mama gave him $25. And when he finally landed down there, he'd already bought a hamburger and a milkshake. He had about $23 left. And he said, registration, $25. You know this is the old days. 
and he gets up there. He's only got $22, and he's wearing bib overalls and a white shirt and field shoes. He doesn't know anything about being a city slicker. He's been a farm boy. And he gets there, and when uh, the registrar said, that's $25, said, what's the name? He said, Ed Hill. And uh, about that time, he felt this hand on his shoulder, and he turns around, and there's a man that said, who are you, son? He said, I'm Ed Hill. He said, are you Edward Victor Hill? He said, I am. Do you live on Route so-and-so? I do. Uh, where have you been? What do you mean, where have I been? We sent you a letter, a registered letter. Did you get it? No. What is it about? Son, you've got a four-year scholarship. We're going to pay all your education. We're going to give you a stipend. We're going to give you some money. We're going to let you live in the dorm. And he said, all I can remember is my old mama at the trailer as the uh, trailmobile came to the house and on that old country road said, you go, Edward, and I'll be praying. He said, I've got the keys to all kinds of cities. I'm on the Billy Graham Association. He said, friend, God's already brought me far enough. I know he can get me through. You need to start thanking God for what he's already done for you because you'll get buried in the present. You ain't going to make it. You're not good enough. You never were good enough. You're right, you're right, but God was good enough to look me up, save me, change me, wash me, cleanse me, and change my life. And so in prayer, you need to remind, I think of David when he got back uh, to his hometown of Ziglag where his wife and kids were, and they were all taken away. A raid had gone through that part of Judea, they took his wife, his kids, and all of his men, said, let's kill David. We've lost our wives and kids by following this guy. And David said, so I encouraged myself in the Lord. You see, you've got to talk to your heart. You've got to talk to your heart when you're worrying, when you're fearful, when you don't think you. And he started talking to him, said, so David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I would have liked to have been in his head right there. You know what I think he might have said? Lord. I was just a boy when my daddy's flock was in danger, and in the name of the Lord, I killed a lion. And in the name of the Lord, I killed a bear one day with my bare hands. Try that. No, don't you try it. I want a machine gun. I don't even want a rifle. I want a machine gun. I know this, Lord, that when I was maybe 17 years old, I killed a man nine feet and six inches in the name of the Lord. I know I escaped the spear of Saul at least two to three times, and I hid out in a cave in, at Adullam down by the Dead Sea, and I was chased like a flea on the Judean wilderness. Oh, Lord. These men may have raided and taken my wife, my children, and all that I got, and these men want to kill me. But I want to thank you for what you've already done for this poor shepherd boy you anointed to be the next king. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You see, he's already, if God spared not his son to get involved with you, won't he do the rest? That's what he said. He'll give you the rest. So 
Prayer is the prescription that he, he recommends. And then he says, make your request known. So worshipful prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, ask God. But now here's the promise of God, and this is what uh, is just supernatural. Listen to what he says. And the peace of God, shalom, well-being, not a rolled stomach, the agitation, the worry, the fretting, the uh, what can I do? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you don't have to try to explain it to me because you can't. What will it do? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the, the birthplace of all your worries is in your heart and in your mind. That's where it comes from. And you can't control your heart. And you cannot control your mind. It will put thoughts in there and stuff will come out, up out of you at times that you ought to be aghast. Wow, I'm glad that's not on a PowerPoint. I'm glad, I hope he doesn't throw that up on a screen. And it would just come up and worry would just come up. All of a sudden you're worried about something. Are you fretful? You're fearsome. But listen to what he says. If you'll pray, if you'll take my medicine, I just told you to pray, I promise you I will do something for you that psychology cannot do. If you went and saw a psychologist and you were worrying, number one, we've got to get you a prescription of something. Because if we can get you out of your head, well, at least you won't worry while you're unconscious. And so then you need a prescription to get off the drug they recommended. I know I've been on heavy medication, especially for pain. Uh, Lloyd-Jones says this, what Paul is saying is that we can control many things in our lives and outside of our lives, but we cannot control our hearts and minds. He is saying this worrying is outside of our control. It happens apart from us. It comes upon us. And good psychology would say, stop worrying. Get over it. Okay, thank you. Uh, or, or here's a good one. You need to get drunk. Uh, you need to take a vacation. That, vacations always help you to forget worrying. Have you ever had a vacation ruined because you took worry along with you? You know, the whole vacation, you how am I going to make it? I'm gonna, you know, while you're staying on the beaches of Waikiki, you say, I don't know if we can economically make it. What a place to figure out your finances. Um, and, uh, or someone would tell you, well, you know, it's wrong to worry. And don't you want to say, I know it. Do something about it. Well, let's see what else. You need a good psychologist. Well, they're worried. Can you imagine seeing your psychologist? I'm worried about you. Well, that's what I'm in here to get cured from, is worry. Do you know what he says here, he does not, now watch this, this is going to be hard on some of you. He doesn't say a thing about changing your circumstances. There's nothing in the verse that says prayer changes things. You know what prayer changes? 
you. And the guy that wrote this is in jail. Now, how many of you would can want to consult a jailbird on how not to worry? My latest book from cell block number nine, Don't Worry. Uh, it, it doesn't say anything about circumstance or, or if you'll pray, God will give you $1,000 in the mail. If you'll pray, uh, you know, your, your mother-in-law will die. He doesn't say any of that. You heard about the definition of mixed emotions, that your mother-in-law just went over a cliff in your new Mercedes. You have mixed emotions. You don't, you don't know, you don't know how, to, how to define it. Um, that one guy said, pray for their mother-in-law. She was at death's door. Pray the Lord pull her through. And so, you know, you didn't know which way the Lord should pull. But uh, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do something in your heart. He will guard your heart. He, he was sitting there like a sentry soldier, like a guard that walks duty back and forth on the wall of your heart. And he sees your heart as the citadel being besieged. Uh, you think you can control everything outside the walls, but your problem is inside the walls. It's your heart and mind. And God all of a sudden said, when you pray, I will command my sentry. I will command the guardian of your soul to walk and do duty on the walls of your heart and I will do something for you without changing one situation, one circumstance, giving you one dollar, giving you anything about what you ask, I will supernaturally give you peace in the midst of the problem. You'll have to wait on me to see what I'll do about the problem. I may not do the problem any way you ask but I'll do something for you. You know, I, I have to say, I, uh, I think um, I've had these peace situations. Uh, in my life, uh, the, the people that shaped me the most, the two funerals I never wanted to do was my dad's and Hazel's because they shaped me the most. I'm the most like them. No prof ever shaped me like my dad. No one taught me to pray, to give. Or, no, no prof taught me that stuff. Hazel Louise Howard taught me. She, she taught me purity. A single woman, never married. And she dropped me off at Walter T. Helms, and she said, you live for Jesus today. Don't you back down. Don't let those hoodlums talk you out of your faith. You hold to the Bible, and you be pure. You, uh, here, this, this single woman dropping her breath. You know, I'd want to drop me off about a block away so I look cool. I could never bury my sister. I could never bury my father. It is amazing the peace of God when you've got the heart assignment. I don't know that I ever shed a tear at my dad's funeral, and believe me, I'm an emotional guy. Hazel, I cried at the mortuary. It took me a while, and at the grave. But that, those are some of the hardest assignments. Uh, had some friends give me up at times. And 
You just think, I, I can never live without that friendship. I can never make it. I just heard Dr. Hannah last week teaching on the life of John Owens. and He said he saw so much pain growing up on the streets of Philadelphia, saw so much incest, sisters became prostitutes, that he said, God, I don't want the heartbreak of pastoring. I'll be a teacher, but I don't want to be a pastor. So he's been at Dallas for 39 years, and what a brilliant teacher he is. Working with people is always being vulnerable to be broken and disappointed. But there's something about the peace of God when you pray. It's greater. Did you know when Christ said, in the world you'll have trouble, but my peace I leave to you? He said that walking towards Pilate's judgment hall and walking towards Golgotha, that in less than 24 hours of when he said that in John 16, he will be hung between two thieves and the earth will be covered in darkness. He's headed towards a slaughter pen. He's headed to his killing. And he says, by the way, man, if you trust me, I'll give you the kind of peace that can face a cross. You won't escape the cross, but you'll go to it in total peace. No psychologist can do this for you. No pill can do this for you. And there's no commanding God to give you all the answers and prosperity. And if you don't come through, I won't serve you. If you don't do this or a prosperity gospel, you've got to make me rich, give me cars. No, 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 no. It's the kind of peace that even though you want to slay me, yet will I trust you. It is well, it is well with my soul. For I took his prescription and all I could say is, I don't know if my child's coming out of ICU. I don't know if I'll get to save my house. I don't know if she's going to leave me or stay with me. I don't know if my children want to believe in Christ or want to hit the party scene. I have no control over all of this that's going on around me. I only know that being aware of it, I have a deep, settled peace because God commanded something to take place in my heart and mind, and I have a peace I cannot even explain to you. It passes all understanding. So don't try to explain it. What you can do when you see me today, you just kind of wink. I got it. I got it. We just kind of high five. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I said, yes, yes. I can't describe it, but I've got it. When I'm, um, the two birth, the two roots of worry are pride and unbelief. He said in Matthew 6, O ye of little faith, do you think I'll take better care of lilies and birds then I'll take care of you. It's only unbelief that makes me distrust God. And we all have these attacks. Uh, I think uh, sometimes uh, I'm worried about my ministry. Am I reaching anybody? Are we being effective? Why not just learn to sell insurance? Uh, why try to pastor in the Bay Area 
that's better at raising hell than going to church. And then I, I just, faith makes me clean to Isaiah 55, 11. My word shall not return to me void, but it will, it will accomplish everything I said it will do. So I've got confidence in the word, not in me. Uh, you know, as I get older, I think uh, uh, God surely can't use anybody over 30 years old that doesn't wear Levi's and play a guitar. That's the only way they'll come to church. And God said, even into old age, and I'm not quite there, don't push it. Even when you're old, Israel, I'll take care of you. I took care of you in your youth. I'll take care of you as you get older. Isaiah said, tell the nation that. I picked you up when you were drowning in your afterbirth, Ezekiel 16. I washed you up, cleaned you up, made your nation, and I'll be good enough when you're old and gray-headed. I'm the God of every age. I don't lose my power. I can take care of you. Well, my body's weak. I don't know how long my back can hold up. I don't know. Well, my grace will be sufficient for as long as I want you to preach. Can you count on my grace? But, Lord, I want freedom from pain. No, no, I didn't promise you that. I promise you grace. Grace bestowal, not pain removal. Those who know the most about grace have lived with the most pain because they know only God got them through. Some of you just got a high IQ. You can brag about it. But us average folks have had to really trust God. You know what? You ought to learn to enjoy being average. Did you know most of this building is full of average people? Boy, I sent some pride in the room. Who are you messing with? I'm better. I'm better. Now, I, I just heard a, Dr. Hannah's letters in music uh, in this seminar, and he gets up, and he's got his uh, computer and everything. He said, men, we're going to uh, sing a song before I do this lecture. Okay. Click. He puts it up. Amazing. Great. Uh, come on, Hannah. Don't you know there's some new music? He said, let me tell you guys something. I don't know how to sing. I'm not a very good singer. But I love to sing. And I learned it's blessed to be average. I thought, well, good. I can still play my guitar. I listened to so many guitar players. There's a new guy out, Emmanuel. Oh, my lands. It's a sin to be that good. You know, I listen to, by the time I listen to all these guys play, I don't even crack a case anymore because I'm embarrassed. I can hit G chord. I'm glad I could get that. Guess what? I started playing guitar because I wanted to sing to myself and play in little churches in Richmond and sing the songs we sang, simple music. And guess what? I was so happy just being average. It's when you become a perfectionist that life gets so difficult. Some of you won't do it unless it's perfect. Guess what, honey? It's never going to be quite perfect. God deals with average folks. And it'd be nice if you'd get used to that. The best thing you're good at is sinning. The rest, you need help. You need help. I quote to you one thing. I must stop. Uh, 
What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now watch this line. Don't miss this line. Get it now. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Half the counseling I've had to do could have been solved had they prayed about it. It's easier to go see a counselor than it is to get on your knees. But let me tell you, if the counselor's name is Howard, I, won't, I can't do anything to your heart. I can't do anything to your mind. This is supernatural, what God does. Only God can invade your heart and put his peace as a guardian soldier to guard you. I love Jacob when he's going to see Esau. God told him to name the place Mahanaim because Jacob was going to his execution but God said, you're doing the will of God. I told you to go back to your home country, and I want you to remember the place is Mahanaim. And you know what that means? It means two camps. There's more than one camp traveling, Jacob. You think you've got your entourage, but the angel of the Lord's been camping with you every night. The angel of the Lord's been traveling with you I'd rather have God's protection, his guardianship, and to know he's in charge of me. Some guy came in this week and asked for the pastor, made like he had a gun, looked like he wanted to hurt me. John Ross confronted him, and uh, I'm ready for us to license John so he can say he's a pastor. You know, <laughs> it's not good. We have many pastors, so if you're mad out there, let me, get, let me name some designates. But you know what? My sister was upset. My wife was upset. I didn't lose a bit of sleep. For my times are in his hands. My, and so are yours. 